Welcome to Talking New Energy, a podcast from LCP Delta, the new energy experts. In the podcast, we'll be exploring how the energy transition is unfolding across Europe through conversations with guests from the leading edge of the transition. Hello, and welcome to the episode. Today, I'm talking with Daniel Linden from Tibber. Tibber, as many listeners will probably know, are a relatively new entrant into the energy retail sector. And I'm delighted to be talking with Daniel as Daniel's firm, Tibber, uh, encapsulate much of the innovation that I think the energy sector needs to drive the transition. So, Daniel, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. Um, Daniel, I think many of our listeners will know about Tibber. You're growing your brand, but unfortunately, they won't all know about Tibber. So can you start off with a quick pen portrait and maybe a few facts and figures? All right. Um, yeah, so um, I'm Daniel. I uh, founded uh, Tibber together with my co-founder, Edgar, back in 2016. So we've been around for a while now. It's like it's six years of, of development, right? Um, we, uh, we started off um, with a perspective to help consumers be smart and uh, help them in the in the journey of, of understanding energy consumption mm-hmm. and truly act upon that. Um, we realized quickly that uh, Tiber uh, had to become, at that point at least, I think things are moving in the right direction in the market, but at that time in 2016, we had to become an energy retailer. It wasn't by design that we wanted to become an energy retailer. It was basically by, if you want to truly and disrupt the part of the digital chain here, we realized Hmm. that data and consumption and access to price data and access to certain real-time signals were only available to to retailers. So we had to establish ourselves with that role. Okay. Um, Today, um, six years past, we are approximately 350 people um, between four uh, markets. Uh, We're in Norway, Sweden, Germany, Netherlands currently live as what we call a digital energy um, supplier. Yep. We do help consumers um, basically shift load to cheaper hours and we help them to consume less uh, energy or basically energy, I say, but it's electricity as fact. We don't deliver gas or anything else. Yep. So we deliver electricity. So we sort of, um, our take on what it what it's supposed to be of being um, um, a strong supplier of um, of services and digital technology to help consumers take control of their power, basically. So you're a retail. The being a energy re- or electricity retailer isn't a means to an end. It's what you need to do to drive that goal of helping customers to minimize their consumption and shift their consumption to the cheaper hours. Yeah, yeah. Because basically, the thing that we um, we saw in the market was that there was a large a lot of talks about renewable energy, um, building uh, renewable energy power plants, um, making that scale, uh, sort of phasing out the fossil fuels. But there was so little talk about the consumer or the consumption mm. side of this equation, right? And we realized that in a world where we're going to shift the way we're going to produce. Either we need to store massive amount of energy, or we need to shift our consumption behavior. Or, and I mean, or, a, or a bit of both. For sure, right? But yep. it's like the, the discussion was never like, how are we going to engage consumers truly in, the, in this yeah. in this fact? So we felt that that was sort of under-executed heavily. So we we had to do something about it. Yeah. Um, so that that's why we addressed it in this angle, right? And um, yeah. And 
So I completely agree. My lis- listeners to the podcast, Daniel, will know my view is that the energy sector has large, historically largely ignored customers. I think they've had meter points and addresses rather than customers. Um, I think that's starting to change now, but I still have many conversations with people in energy companies that say customers don't want to be engaged. They don't want, they don't care. They just want to pay their bill every month. Um, Now, I don't believe that, but how do you respond to those, you know, probably not unfounded views that customers aren't that bothered? Well, they are bothered when the energy costs are like it is right now, right? So then now it becomes a friction point. I think a lot of the environmentalists that has pushed legislation that we should increase costs uh, connected to this has has proven their point right, right? Mm. Currently, with the with the current crisis we have in Europe, with the price points of energy has, has spiked, the curiosity of the population has increased, which means also the investments, the amount of startups, the amount of risk capital going into the sector has sort of boomed, right? So we're yeah. going to, through a phase now that is extremely exciting, I would say, um, on, on the fact that how you should deal with customer engagement... I think the fundamental emphasis on this has been wrong. It's like, how do you engage people to care about you? It's been mm-hmm. sort of the topic. Like, yeah. if, you're the, if you're the Eon and Vattenfalls of the world, you think like, okay, but the customer don't care about us. Uh, we are not, we, are, we have a hard time making them engaged about the topic or the sales that we try to do. The, the problem with that is that people don't, of course, care about them. They care about themselves. And when we can shift behavior and mental uh, perspective to this, it's about the consumers, about their contribution, about the society's long-term play, right? Then it becomes something different. If we can integrate into people's lives and move the shifts to the consumers, yeah. then we're getting somewhere. Then we're talking about something that's actually not making people's behavior different, but basically making energy a natural part of their life. And I think here's where the industry has gone so wrong. It's like you believe that you will be able to shape something of you call high engagement. The, the, the topic is really like how can we how can we integrate this in, in a natural part in people's life? Because people do care. They care about economy. They care about finance. They care about society. And they do care about their environment. Well, they care about having warm or cool, comfortable homes. They care about when I look at stats on how often people engage with their smart thermostat, it's clear that people's home environment is something they care massively about because they're really engaged with it. Um, so, yeah, I completely agree. It's the people's comfort in their homes, people's impact on the environment, people's bills. They're huge, huge points of interest. So what have you learned in six years? I, I bet they in some ways have flown by. Um, in those six years, if you think back to what you've learned about working with customers, uh, whether we use the phrase engaging customers or working with customers, building your products and services into their lives, are there one, two, three big things that you'd, you'd highlight that you've learned along the way? Obviously, uh, I think it, it would be uh, natural to see it, but there are, of course, huge differences in in segments of the market right yeah um i mean we we tend to uh to talk with the the people that is highly engaged everyone around us is usually highly engaged in the topic 
And then when you realize that when you cross that bubble or burst it and you go beyond it, you realize that it's not the same topics that you're talking about, right? So yeah. it becomes different. Um, the, the, the perspective to this, uh, to this energy is quite uh, different. So then you, what you need to understand is for you to reach that wide audience, you need to stop talking and packaging this like you would do when you're talking to your peers in the industry or with your people or colleagues. You need to think beyond and you need to structure this in a way that is actually being able to consume by, by everyone. And that is a fundamentally, I mean, it's like the, kind of funny. We, we had the discussion about virtual power planting, right? Uh, on the office yeah. yesterday, the other day. It's like, what a horrible word. How are we doing consumers engaged about the virtual power plant? Yeah. Sorry about like that, that sort of crazy. And that, that, that yeah. sort of isolates the topic, right? We're so obsessed with our own environment that, but we want it to be spilled over to someone else, right? We want someone else to use it don't call it the VPP thing, right? It's like, how, it's all the craziness. How have you built that? How have you actually done that? Because I imagine that's partly building a culture within Tibet to not just talk with each other, but think like the majority of customers. Uh, how much is it culture? How much is it process and doing customer research and focus groups? What have you learned about how to achieve that? Uh, good question. It's um, 80% culture, 20% process, I would say, mm -hmm. uh, because it's when you're doing something that is not um, done yet, uh, something that is undiscovered or, or going to uncharted territory, um, you're getting into um, perspectives where there are a, a lot of opinions and very little facts. Yeah. How do you do it? It's like it, it's hard to determine how you do it, so you need to try it out. Okay, so then you have two perspectives to it. Either uh, we try to do a very thorough process to evaluate this until we find the perfect solution. Yeah. Or we say that let's get let, let's follow our hearts. Let's just do this. Let's do it our way. We might fail. Let's try to fail fast then in that aspect. Yeah. And Test then move and on. Test and learn. Yeah. yeah, and also try to uh, try to be a little bit bold in that and sort of, I wouldn't say risk it all, but put something on a table that actually matters and, and sort of try it out. So I think that's a cultural difference that you can en en encounter. And I believe that if you look at large companies, it doesn't, it doesn't go only in this sector, it goes in all sectors. It's like yeah. being smaller means you can take more risks. Taking more risks means, in practice, a competitive advantage. Because yeah. if you if you need to evaluate to be 100% sure that it will fly, you're probably going to get a 50% uh, good solution because it won't fit the bill for everyone. It's going to be controversial somewhere. You're going to, to crash and burn in some aspects. And if, if you can't afford that, you're not going to do the full, the full sort of progression on, on all areas. So yeah. I think taking risks is a fundamental piece. So, and in that, you can't have too much process on all of the things. It needs to be culture and embrace that. Let, let's do that. And let's also take on our customers on the journey that we don't know the answer. And I'm 100% I'm, I'm certain that the rest of the society don't. So yeah. if we're going to shape this, we need to do it in so many different angles that we will, start, we will fail in some aspects, but hopefully and gracefully people will accept that and we can move along and, and sort of continue iterating. Have you have you got an example, Daniel, to sort of bring that to life for our listeners of something you've, I guess, launched and learnt from and iterated, or um, something you're thinking about now? Or... 
I mean, the, the <laughs> this was early on, but it's like a, a super simple, uh, stupid thing. It's like uh, when we started off, we started off in the perspective that like, can you build a subscription business in the in this area? Similar like like what you've seen in music or yeah. um, uh, streaming media, etc. And uh, looking at how we wanted to mimic that behavior, we wanted to also mimic the way that we will perceive that that, that type of product. So if you want to be streaming media or sort of Netflix equivalent of energy or Spotify, how do we do that? So then you look a lot about the onboarding journey. How do you do that? And sort of trying to mimic it to the fullest. So actually the first version of Tibur included credit card payment. Um, but, um, and I mean, it, it makes perfect sense from some perspective. Like if you, if you want to sign this up like uh, Spotify or Netflix, yeah. let's do that. And of course you do that, you start off there and then you run a few months and then you realize like the credit card fee series is going to eat us up because we're huh. invoicing energy, which is quite expensive. Yeah. I mean, so like it, it obviously in, in retrospect sounds completely stupid, but the, the thought process behind it was correct. It was a cultural bet like, yes, but why shouldn't we be, why, why should you send an invoice that should be paid with an OCR number and sort of a, yeah. a, a fee? Let's let's charge this with a statement and a credit card and charge it on the day instead. Yeah. But it got eaten. The benefit of that got eaten up by the credit card fees, and we weren't big enough to to negotiate it down. Yeah. So unfortunately, we got stuck in that. But it's like a silly mistake. But built from a cultural perspective that you want to be different, right? You want to do this in a different angle. I'm not saying copy, but I'm saying inspired by other industries to realize where are the where is the world heading, right? Uh, and how yeah, and that's what customers. That's what customers are used to. Customers are used to that sort of offering. They're used to subscribing. They're used to paying in certain ways. So um, the old sending an invoice to many customers feels quite old-fashioned. So I can completely see why completely see um, why you experimented with that. Mm. But, um, but I would advise not to do that. It's a stupid no. idea. <laughs> Unless you can negotiate the fees down. Um, Daniel, in terms of where you are today, so you've got you've got electricity retail, you've got uh, products that you sell like smart thermostats or EV chargers, and tell me a bit about how you work with customers to shift their demand because that's I think becoming more and more of a topic in the energy sector. You're at the leading edge of that. Uh, there's questions around automation, around uh, interoperability. Um, around how involved customers need to be in that. Can you paint a bit of a picture of what a what it might look like from one of your customers' point of view as to how, how they shift demand or how you help them do that? Well, there are basically, there are basically two ways of doing this. Um, either you apply behavior science and try to shift behavior based on, on, on communication, right? Yep. Or you shift people's behavior based on technology. Yeah. Um, and uh, uh, when dissecting this uh, and, and looking from our viewpoint, how do you do it? I do enjoy the behavior side of this equation because it shows that if you want to make a mass market movement in idea and concept, you need to not only work on technology, but you need to work on behavior. Yeah. But the big volume is not in behavior. It is in automation. Uh, because it's a big, a big long-term volume, short-term, not everyone's got the technology for the automation, I guess. So do you, do you mean longer term when you say that? 
Well, I'm, I, I basically mean that it's the technology is available now. It's just mm. not in, in everyone's hands. Sure. And that's sure. that's our purpose, right? So for me, it's just untapped potential that we are trying to close and we are yeah. closing quickly. Yeah. So basically, um, with behavior part, it's like it's not possible for people to get up in night and start yeah. their electric vehicle charging. It's not possible for people to, to turn off their thermostats when they're leaving the home and turn it on when it's coming home, right? It, it's not applicable. They can move They can move this this way with with um, timers they can move um, uh, laundry with timers they yeah. can uh, try to be cautious about high peaks and, and high urgencies in in certain areas that will have a certain effect and it's definitely the biggest effect of that will be emotional because you feel that you're actually contributing in a fairly big emotional factor um in in a society's big challenge that we have right now with with big peaks in, in energy consumption that might actually lead to disasters in in um, in outages, uh, but the big potential is in automation, and uh, that's what we have been aiming for all along. So basically, we and once again, um, like we're talked about how to integrate the physical and digital world together, and I think that one of the biggest leaps that we have done towards consumers is not that we are providing an app where you can check energy pricing and consumption because that you will do in multiple aspects, um, m- multiple vendors uh, about the market. But the truly fact that we have connected the physical and the digital infrastructure of people's homes, so they're actually being able not only to understand how they use energy consumption and what the prices differences are and, and the impact of this, but essentially that they are able to uh, use automation to basically do something about it. And that's a super strength. And we call it power-ups. It's basically integrations to physical things. It can be Tiber hardware or other hardware, uh, third-party connections that we do, where you basically can connect your car, charge your solar panels, um, um, batteries, or um, heating systems, etc., cetera, uh, smart home systems, in order to automate this behavior in a smart way. And uh, on, on that fact, it's like, uh, for us, if you bought an electric vehicle, it's usually already connected. If you bought a charger today, it's usually connected. If you buy a heat pump in the recent five years, it's usually connected. I think the manufacturers of these devices, they put in connectivity because it's the way of the world. I don't think they understood the potential or the consequence or actually the, mean, the, the means for it. But it's like, it, you know, you're buying a humidifier and suddenly says Wi-Fi yeah. inside. Why? Yeah, no, exactly. Why? But it's like, because it's modern. Well, Great. you can even buy a toothbrush that's got Wi-Fi inside. I don't quite know why you do that. but exactly. um, the, the good part with that is that that brings a lot of potential to us. Because if there is connectivity, it's reachable. And if it's reachable, we can do something about it. It can be horrible tech within the, in the, uh, within the actual physical product. It might be a welding company that's put together a heat pump and don't know squat about coding. Yeah. They yeah. bought something from um, a third-party vendor that they put into it, but we can decipher it because it's technology, which means that we can most likely turn it into, I wouldn't say gold, but something very shiny and good and utilize that for the behavior of you, utilize it for the time of use and utilize it for the society as a whole. And that's a lot of the, um, uh, the journey we are on and we have done. So maximizing automation with all of these devices is a, is a key thing. Now that... that- interoperability that getting to the products being able to steer them uh optimize when they're running i know that can be super hard work because a lot they may be connected and connectable but the uh, they may be fairly closed in terms of how accessible they are 
is that Tibber's job? Is that third party's job by opening up APIs on your price signals? Is it both? Well, I mean, do you want do do should we uh, should we standardize this? <laughs> yes. Yes, of course we uh, should, but that would take a while. <laughs> will, it, will it happen? Uh, yes, but in yeah. the time period, well, who knows? I mean, yeah. it's like when will this happen? Who knows? Yeah. And and the interpretation of this is different. Who will carry the problem? Will it be the the one that is trying to get all of this to work? Yeah, in the beginning, yes. Will it be the vendors that wants to get into this ecosystem? In the beginning, yes. How will it work in the long term? I don't know. We will, we will hmm. see how it pan out, right? Uh, the, the, the story of this is like, if you want to get into this game, you need to get dirty. You, you need, need to roll up your sleeves and you need to do that connecting yourself. And yes. yeah. Yeah, that's, sure. that's why this company is not built on business developers and salespeople. It's built on engineers and, uh, and people that wants to do this right. So basically, it's not a simple path to success. It's a very hard path to success. Yeah. Do we need to do it? 100% yes. For what? Well, I mean, we set this sales out for the society's own good, for the planet's own good. If we don't succeed in this, someone else mm. must do it. Yep. And, yep. and I mean, it's it's not the question if consumption needs to change. It's like we won't be able to we won't be able to um, literally survive long term if we're not able to change our behavior. And I don't believe with billboards and communication going out that will change people's behavior to the fact that it actually works. I'm technology optimist here. I believe the only way forward is for us to crack these things, make make full use of technology, so we can actually live our lives probably better than it is today, but with much less lesser impact and with much more sustainable society. And that, that's the only fact we can probably survive in this. So if you think about Tibber's USP or Tibber's magic source, um, there's quite a lot in, you've talked about behavioral science and behavioral response, but there you talked quite a lot about technology and developers and making that technology stack work. What if you had to pull out one or two things about what makes Tibber special, well, can you pull out one or two things? Or what would be the key skills, the key USBs, uh, the key difference that you'd highlight? The first thing would probably be uh, what we touched upon earlier is like the culture. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The, 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 the fact that people come and work here because they want to be part of a mission, because we want to achieve something. And with the, the, the perspective to it, that it's not a job done when you reach a certain figure or sort of you, you, you achieve this and that. It's like we're, we're up against not to beat the old classical dino energy companies. We're basically here to try to shift the mass market population's view on this topic. Yeah. As like it's, it's going to be super hard, but actually... And that's the cool thing that we've seen in the last uh, recent years is like it's doable. It's actually doable, yeah. which means that it it's it's not it's not an impossible task. We can we can probably shift mankind's view on this topic in a sense. It's, we can go from fossil fuels to something else. It's just yeah. that we have we have only reached a very small piece of the humanity yet. Uh, so it's it a it's a scaling and a speed that then takes you on to scale and speed and how you sort of gone off on a slight tangent, but let's follow it for a minute. How you, you've achieved success. You've got hundreds of thousands of customers. Um, how do you scale that and how, what affects how quickly you can go? Is it 
Is it capital? Is it finding the right people to come and work at Tibber? Are there more things you need to unlock? Yeah, you have time as well in that aspect. It takes time. It actually takes more time than you might expect. Like uh, six years ago, if we would draw a line, I would say that um, coming to this point where we are today, it's a very long time period. Um, yeah. And uh, it, it requires a large time to shift uh, mentality and um, consumer behavior in the market. Uh, but yes, uh, you need great talent. And you need talent that doesn't uh, that needs to come from other inspirations as well. A lot of the people that is working in Tibur today comes from. I mean, I'm 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 physically located in Stockholm, where we have one, one of our um, biggest offices. Um, a lot of the people here comes from successful uh, companies like um, Spotify, Klarna, Isettle, um, from from different angles that has been through once or twice or three journeys of digitalization of an industry. Um, yeah. They've learned many different things from this. Yeah. Uh, can it be applied 100% to energy? No, uh, but it can be. But some of the lessons are essential in order to know how to scale this, how to build operations, how to build the mindset, how to develop this in the right way. So I believe it's, it, it, it is the people and it's the culture that is essential. Then it, of course, is, is a little bit about the timing when you can achieve certain things. Like um, if you go to a market that is not fully regulated or the, play, the, the, the Lego pieces are not in play at full, you, you're fighting against a fairly hard um, stair to walk up, up towards. Uh, yeah. If you find a market that regulatory is sort of in a good, a good state, you're, you're on the, it's a downhill from there, right? So basically you need yeah. to apply the technology and the ideas that you have, but suddenly it's rolling. And, and most markets will probably eventually end up in the good state, but not all yeah. are, which is a complication. It is, and it's one of my, I guess I've got two frustrations. One is the speed at which regulation and market structures move because they never move fast enough. And we don't, have the time i think for them to move at the speed they've been moving at historically secondly it's easy to complain about regulation and market structures but working with them and working around them so uh that's where you've built your business out to what four countries already uh, and then imagine you want to expand that list as quick as you can and as quick as you can find countries with good enough regulatory environments even if they're not perfect yeah for sure. And I mean, it, it, it takes time and it's not only based on, on the regulational hinders. It's also the mm. effort of actually scaling something across multiple markets yeah. because on topic level, like um, trading and supply switching and billing and invoicing and payments looks fairly simple. Um, but when you go into depth in, in things, it's like the the engineers in every market has basically looked at the neighbor and said like, they did this yeah. whole completely wrong. Let's make our own book on this one. Uh -huh. It's like, let's put our own things, how you should settle uh, solar consumption or how you should discount this or that or yeah. rules. So every market is quite different when you go into details. And I mean, building something that's a scale so should scale between markets, you need to be able to find a common denominator. In the beginning, uh, in the Nordics, it was fairly simple to find a common denominator. The more you go out of that, the, the harder it becomes. Um, so basically, you need to find that core and, and scale that. And then you need to work hard in order to, to scale this into, in, into multiple markets because it will look very different depending on where yeah. you go. How would you describe that common denominator that you found? I mean, consumer behavior are quite similar. 
um, electrical vehicle brands are uh, typically the same. There are the typical same type of behavior. People adopt the solar. Uh, they have the same needs when it comes to that. So then when you want to build it, then that um, similarity stop, right? Because then you yeah. get into other, other, other problems where a market has realized that it should be designed in a certain way in conjunction to consumption or whatever. It's like um, everyone has reinvented their own market and how, how to switch. Should, can you have an electricity contract for consumption in one part and a production yeah. contract in another? Can you have two different retailers? Can you have a feed-in yeah. tariff? Can you not have a feed-in tariff? I mean, there, there are so many different aspects of this, right? Yeah. So yeah. Uh, the actual the, the stuff that is very close to regulation used to be quite different between market to market. The things that people would like to do is very similar, which, yeah, which okay. is so, the point, uh, too, that if people want to do the same things in every market, it's just that the regulation of politicians that have failed to find a common denominator to sign this, yeah. it hinders companies like Tibber to go to all European markets or, or to large quantities of the world. So from what you're saying, Daniel, I'd maybe pull out two, two things that that two things that you're scaling. One is that tech stack around the interface with the PV, the EV, and how to do that. And then the second would be the interface with the customer and the behavior and how to relate to the customer. And then you've got to put those two together. And it sounds like, yeah, there will be differences country to country. Some countries have a lot of uh, electric resistance heating. Some have a lot of heat pump heating, etc. Those are the two core things that you can bring together and then use that to scale across multiple markets. Yes, um, I would say so. That, that, that is the current view on things. Um, how this will evolve is probably the interesting thing is because um, you could be saying that that would probably be uh, um, a recipe for success. We find a new shift into consumption behavior where you're paying and the things they're going to do right and how you can change the consumer behavior. Well, the thing is like it, it is now adopting that in large quantities in the market or into right, which means that um, now we're probably ready to take a few next steps in that. So, so the future of this is probably the most interesting fact because now we have started to digitalize the infrastructure of people's homes. What does that mean in the long term? It probably means something completely different from what we see today. Like yeah. the integration points, the time of use, uh, usage of your car or your heat pump. Well, yes, it's, um, it, it, is a, it is a huge shift in how it was in the, in the past. But the opportunities about that can truly be disruptive. It's been disruptive from this point because suddenly customers can automate and impact this. But I believe the next steps beyond this will be even bigger. Well, uh, at this point in the podcast, typically, Daniel, I bring out the Talking New Energy crystal ball and use that to look into the future. So let's do that now and set the dial to let's set it to 10 years time so 2032 um i think the next 10 years in the energy sector will whiz by and are you able to share some thoughts on what those new things might be or what tibber will look like or could look like in 2032 or maybe if you don't want to make it specific to tibber uh, the way in which companies like yourself will be working with customers. Well, I have I have a few aspects on that one, but we can start with the first one. Is like companies uh, like us um, 
my perspective to that is that today we're defined as a digital energy company, a retailer, right? We're selling it. We're based on the traditional topology of energy, but we are delivering energy in a new way or basically selling energy in a new way because we're not delivering energy uh, and then controlling it, right? Um, we need to survive the shift to a new system. So the operating system of your home for energy needs to survive in that transition. So us as a company, 10 years from now, will probably not look the same. Our role might not be a retailer. It might be completely different. It will not be in just an aggregator, whatever word we call for it. It's probably something bigger than that, where it's integrated and, and sort of works in people's homes. Okay. That will, come, that will come to my next point. Is like maybe 10 years is, could, could be enough. But um, maybe there's a little bit longer term in, uh, as well to that, that topic. It's the, the centralized energy production to the decentralized way of, of, of doing this will probably be a major shift, much bigger than we can anticipate. And I, I, I do believe that we saw this a lot in the... Uh, in the 2000s of the world, when we uh, when we shift from sort of broadband and mobile um, carriers, etc., it's been the hypothesis for energy. But I do believe that in the next 10 to, to 15, maybe 20 years, we're going to have a major shift where, like, the world in Ukraine showed us how fragile this is. It's just a bomb on on a substation, and suddenly we lose connectivity to power, which is so essential. So how can we make that a more networking aspects of things. And I believe it's highly likely that the role of the DSO will be highly challenged. I don't believe it will yeah. survive long term. I think that's a wrong design of the perspective that grids will only be a concession of one, will only be a monopoly, will only be delivering this. And the only way to basically nominate your position here is like building huge asset base that you will continue to swell and swell and swell in order to capable, uh, capable of delivering large, high quantities of energy. And at the time when, when, we can, when, when we can start building parallel grids or connect uh, real estate to each other, battery local production, we might not need a grid in the same way we do today. We need some can, part of the grid, but not all yeah. of it. I, I think the model for the DSO is really big question but uh we're just kicking off an innovation project with one dso looking at a cellular approach to networks so each different cell could be different sizes but around a community and then you put those cells together so fundamentally different way of thinking about a, a dso and i completely agree with you i think as we move to more pv more batteries more flexible demand in homes vehicle to grid eventually um then we've moved to a truly much more decentralized model and we won't and the role of an energy retailer will might become an energy optimizer for example um you've talked about two points very interconnected points daniel anything else you want to highlight in terms of 10 years time i mean the adoption i i think that um on the short term period, I think that a lot of companies will try to um, do similar things as we are doing, transitioning to it. And that's going to yeah. be a, a big game. I think that's a big win for society. I'm very happy for that. And I think that sort of trying to help to digitalize uh, consumer behavior here and connecting it to a digital infrastructure is essential. So I'm looking a lot forward to that. I'm hoping that standardization, as we talked earlier, will probably happen. But who knows, 10 years is a short time in the standardization world. Yeah. I don't know. 
Yeah. Uh, so, so let's see what's going to happen in that. But I, I'm 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 truly I'm very excited about what's going to happen um, in these aspects, and the ball that we got rolling is going to have uh, some massive impact. I think it's much bigger long term than we might perceive. Uh, the started of the sort of the revolution here has already started now. Uh, but I don't think that a lot of the players in the um, legacy value chain have understood how big it's going to be. Yeah. It's just that the snowball is going to roll, and it's going to roll and crush many of the different classical roles. And, and for example, I think DSOs. And if you ask someone in, a, in such a company today, they probably think it's unheard of or unthink of, and it's like, how will it ever work, right? And you have so many obstacles. But a little bit longer perspective, it's going to be challenged in a way that's like, Phew, why would we build up multiple cell network stations because it was the way of the world and why would we build up parallel grids i don't know because the the one that built the first one was not smart and uh, innovative enough to to basically try to evolve it and it's not the people there it is actually the model itself that hinders it it's the creativity of the competition that comes into play that has these massive opportunities that that push the needle so far that you you won't be able to sketch it because it's so many people thinking in parallel and that's the exciting thing well daniel it sounds like your your own snowball at tibber has taken maybe a bit longer than you first divisioned six years ago to get momentum and to start uh gathering speed it sounds like you're certainly gathering speed now um and it sounds like a very exciting next year's ahead as you take what you've learned and look to scale that both i imagine within the markets you're in and to to new markets as well um it's been fascinating talking with you if you had to highlight one challenge your biggest challenge in scaling uh just in a few words what would you say it's the i think it's the consumer in nurture right we have taught ways of doing in decades of times. People perceive this topic in a certain way. We even talk still as it's a commodity, it's boring, you shouldn't sort of invest, why should you work in this yeah. industry, etc. I think it's the biggest hurdle for them, uh, everything we're doing is like, we need to convince that first. We don't need to win over a competitor. I need to win over people's attention uh, to this topic. Yeah. But the, the excellent piece is that it's changing now and it's coming with the crisis we're going through yeah. so um i said I, th- this challenge just seem, seems to be roadblocks that is also moving away so i'm super excited to see what's coming out of the market it's going to be, happen so much based on all of this so many startups scale-ups that's going to generate new things in this market so um, yeah it's going to be a pleasure to follow yeah well congratulations on everything you've achieved so far daniel and the the best of luck and all the success for scaling that in the next years thanks very much for your time and joining us thank you very much thank you and thanks as always to everyone listening to this episode we hope you enjoyed it got some new perspectives and uh go back to your your day jobs your desks with some new ideas and new new enthusiasm and new ways of thinking to accelerate the energy transition further. Thanks and goodbye. If you enjoy the podcast, then please rate it and share it with your friends and colleagues. If you're as passionate about the energy transition as we are, then you can keep in touch with us and look at our research insights, podcast transcripts and download reports all at www.lcpdelta.com.